WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. If it's Monday night, it's got to be Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi. So thanks for having me on. Kevin, good for you to hold back and let him tell his story. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. You guys are the center of the universe today. At least the political universe. I believe both of you are, are from the area. Marshfield guys, yes, no? Correct, yeah. That's right. There's only one person not from Marshfield in this room right now. That's you. It's me. <laughs> I'm the outcast. Well, you've always been generous with the time. I appreciate it very much. Well, I'm honored to be on your show tonight, Kevin, with that impressive lineup you have. I believe our guest that we've been waiting for, Congressman Stephen Lynch. Kevin, good to join you. The governor of the Commonwealth, very Charlie good. Baker. You ready? i got to tell you that uh, it was really nice to hear Aerosmith on the intro there. You're going to be the rock and roll governor? I don't know about that, but... We have Mayor Joe Sullivan joining us, sir. How are you? Well, Kevin, very good to be with you again. Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Mr. Ming Tsai, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Massachusetts State Auditor Suzanne Bump. Hello, Auditor. How are you? I am fine, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. You are indeed tuned into Monday Night Talk here Live from Broadcast House on 95.9 WATD. My name is indeed Kevin Tosh. Interesting here, like all the voices, all the all the different voices that are in the intro, knowing that we've been doing it for, I think, I would say well over 11 years. And usually celebrate milestones. Interesting enough, though, uh, one of the voices that you heard in that intro <laughs> will be my guest, former co-host of Monday Night Talk, and now a... Um, Nationally, nationally known, award-winning flood insurance or or flood. Um, how do we want to say this? That's Joe? fine. Joe flood Rossi. Insurance. Joe. Joe oh, Flood. <laughs> Joe Flood is uh, in studio this evening, joining us to talk a little bit about the latest happening with flood insurance. We know it's a time, uh, a good time of year to consider. Well, you probably should have considered it a lot sooner than now if you're. If you're looking at your flood insurance, but we bring Joe in on uh, on a regular basis to talk about flood insurance, the latest that's going on with him. So he'll join us in just a few moments. Also, Andrea Campbell will join us. She is the candidate for attorney general. As everybody knows, that uh, big election tomorrow, and I think it couldn't come soon enough. I think I'm I've. You can't see it because radio is not a visual medium, but I am up to here. And Kevin is at the top of his head with his hands. Yes, thank you for the narration, Joe. Yes. I'm up to here with all the political ads. You just get to the point in time where you're like, all right, enough. And, and it's not even that they're just the local ads, but you're getting, in our area, for some reason, we get the ones for... Um, New Hampshire. Yeah, New Hampshire is where all the... Don Baldick. Yeah, you know, all, you know, all the, the ones are. Yeah, and like we don't care about what's going on, but maybe they figure there are folks who live down here in Massachusetts who, you know, find our way up to New Hampshire. New Hampshire is beautiful. It's a beautiful state. Mm. Um, me and the missus, we visit there all the time. We have two of our kids living there. Mm. So maybe they have targeted, targeted our home appropriately, but it's just funny to see those those ads running. But I can't wait for the ads to be done as of Wednesday morning. It'd be fantastic. Um, talking about politics, talking about the election, the general election. Uh, hour number two, uh, we bring back uh, the pair that we had on during the primary, uh, the eve of the primary, state primary, Jared Valenzuela, 
Plymouth County Commissioner, and Tom O'Brien, Plymouth County Treasurer. And they'll be in here, and we will we will talk the races. We will pontificate who we think, so who, who will possibly come away with uh, the you know their their particular race i don't know if there's going to be any surprises i would say not in massachusetts no not in massachusetts but i'm i'm sure that we could also expand it to looking at the you know it's midterm midterm elections it's big it's huge a lot of people are watching this um so we can expand to that and we also offer up the opportunities we, we we've done in years past as we did uh, back in september if you are a candidate and you want to call in, say hi, or even get your message out, please feel free to do so uh, coming up at 7 o'clock. Well, wait until it's, you know, 7.20, 7.30. Let, let the guys kind of, you know, you know, air out their, their grievances or air out their thoughts on the political races that we have taking place here in the Commonwealth, and then we can go from there. What do you think, Joe? Sounds great. I tried to talk Joe into to, to being a part of that part of the segment. Joe's like, no, I, I, you know what? I'm here. I'm staying in my lane. I'm here to talk about flood and flood insurance. And so we're looking forward to that conversation coming up in just a few moments. You may not know, but my parents were baby boomers. They listened to vinyl. Soon as I could, I started turning records. Then came cassette tapes, Walkman radios. Music became portable as long as you had extra batteries. Then came CDs, compact discs. They were never that compact. They skipped, skipped, skipped that part. We all bought cars with multi-disc CD changers. Today, cars don't even come with any player. It's pretty much onboard computers, and all music is now online. Even my old pal's high school band. So this Thanksgiving, I'm most thankful for 8-Ball Shifter putting the first album on YouTube. Happy Thanksgiving, women hands in class in 1995. Yeah, let's rock! Brennan's Smoke Shop, the best smoke shop in New England. Customers must be 21 years of age or older, and proper ID is required. Seriously, 8-Ball Shifter, all day, Thanksgiving Day. All day. Monday Night Talk on Twitter. Start at 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. And don't forget to add hashtag Monday Night Talk to your tweets. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. So, we are back after teasing the uh, the segment with Joe Rossi, Joe Flood, uh, coming in out of the bullpen just for a few moments just to, to drop in is uh, my 7, 8 o'clock guest or our co-host, Mr. Valenzuela. It's interesting seeing that we have uh, two individuals from the uh, Bob Headland coaching tree. That is... <laughs> <laughs> right, the Bob Headland uh, coaching tree, staffing tree. Like we said, it's like it's, you know, it's tentacles. The, the, the web of Bob Headland never, never uh, ends, but... Yeah, when I heard uh, when I heard Joe Flood on, I actually, I sped out of my house in Rockland. I got here in record time, 10 seconds. Um... <laughs> To say hi to my my old friend here. Well, that's great. I'm really glad. Congratulations you on up. your wedding, too. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, he beat me to it. I was going to congratulate you oh, as well. Crap. Well, see, you. I missed the brief open. I mean, I heard it, but then I had to walk in here. So. Yeah. Well, he he had said he had said. Now maybe he can. can now, had, did you have a chance to? You haven't had him on yet on your show. Have I you? did. He was on a while the, back, um, but yes. prior to the nuptials, right? 
Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's actually been far too long since I've had him on on my program. And the song I picked because I I mix up a lot of the music was "Once in a Lifetime" Talking Heads mm. because I thought that it was appropriate. Like a, it was a song that to me may have described flood insurance or lack thereof. You may ask <laughs> yourself, where does this you know water flowing, water underground? Where is that beautiful house? Where is my beautiful wife? Where is that large automobile? I'm telling you. Uh, Larry, I'm convinced, Once in a Lifetime by the Docking Heads is actually about flood insurance. How come you've never done a specialty show on music? We've had we've had other radio personalities who have done it. I know. I you could be the next one. I should. I really especially the band The Beatles. I'm pretty oh, good God. It's them. like they're like coming from the woodwork. It's Groundhog Day. You, you know us, <laughs> us county people like to be early. Wait, I'm going to drop the toaster in the water right now. No. Right. <laughs> but I don't want to take from your uh, segment with Joe, so... Good to see you guys here early. Yes. Looking, of course. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, I heard Commissioner Valenzuela quoting the talking heads I had. <laughs> Another one. Oh, my goodness. Love David Byrne. You guys could spin the wax here. <laughs> I'm good. telling you. We could. But we're not going to be usual politicians and take up all of your time. So. No, no, because we want to talk. We, you got to talk flood insurance. So we'll, we'll be back at 7. Nationally recognized. Joe Russell. He is. Don't no, look. Joe Flood. Uh, look, I, I'll tell you. I'll just give you this quick plug. It, it, Care, careful now, because his head has to fit up the door. I know. But <laughs> in my. Leave. It, I, I will say this. When I worked for Senator Headland, um, that when when the Bigger Waters Act dropped and when all those updates dropped, uh, I know myself as a staffer. You know, we, we work very. The senator was obviously very active and very involved, but we all work together. And mm-hmm. for me, it was great to have Joe as a resource and someone that I could you know constituents no would call us, we'd send it to him. Uh, he would get us the answer like that. And still well, to this well day, well studied on on, on he is. Figures. And to this day, I'm I'm a real estate agent professionally. My broker is Corey Welch, Boom Realty. I know Corey is referenced. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, you Joe. only do that on Wednesdays. I know, but I know, but <laughs> but look, but we've re- see, I slipped that in too. <laughs> but we've referenced. Um, I know Corey's referenced Joe often enough, uh, very often, because it, it's it is such a complex. Um, it is so complex, and so many people don't understand it. You know, I and it continues to evolve. Too. It does. It never ends. I mean, I live in Rockland, and one of my favorite conversations with Joe was when Rockland didn't adopt flood maps, and people don't, didn't fully appreciate what that meant yeah. for the town. So the folks that are that are listening to this segment, and then I'm going to scoot because I don't want to take up time. But folks listening to this segment, guy's an expert. He's the best, not only in the state, he's the, the best. best in the country. Yeah. So we're lucky to have him. Thank Appreciate you, Joe. That, Joe. We'll be back at seven. We got to get a beer soon, too. Yeah, we do. <laughs> All right, thanks, Kevin. We'll be you back. You got it. All right, so there you go. Just a little bit of a tease and a preview with with uh, Plymouth County Commissioner Jared Valenzuela and the County Treasurer Tom O'Brien. He's uh, he's going to be uh, here. So thank you, Tom, for, for making sure that you uh, checked off your calendar. Make sure you made it in. You reserved me in September. I'm here for today. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So that's that segment coming up at. Seven o'clock. So let's let's get into it. It's interesting. He asked you about, you know, saying that di do's and, and yes. Let's talk about it because you, you kind of you kind of kind of keep, you had to keep the wraps on things. Yeah. Before you you be, you had your own you know um, your own brokerage. Yeah. It's been now, a crazy two years. To so be now honest. this is something yeah. that you can basically offer. You are the guy who inside baseball. You know all this stuff as as you know. Not only Jared had alluded to, but yeah. I've said too many times that you're there's yeah. nobody better. Yeah, it's been a really interesting two years. In 2021, I started the brokerage and uh, got engaged, and in 2022, um, got married, and uh, a lot of other great stuff has happened. The uh, Costa Coalition celebrated 10 years. 
um, and most notably in something that I'm probably the mo one of the biggest career achievements, believe it or not, after everything that I've done in my career, the biggest career achievement happened just about three weeks ago when FEMA awarded me the National CRS Award for Excellence. Um, and this is a prestigious award that FEMA gives out once a year. It's like a Marconi for flood insurance? I, I would say it's, I call it the lifetime of my lifetime achievement award. Mm. And uh, it was presented to me by the head of the CRS program for all of FEMA. And uh, it was it's How a does that feel? complete honor. Uh, it feels great because it recognizes not just me. And that's what I like to tell people is when I accepted the award, and it was done via Zoom this year, uh, when I accepted the award, I accepted it not just for me, but for all the people that I've worked with over the last going on 13 years to not just elevate myself and where I am, but the stakeholders that have we've, we've helped in all of my different hats that I've worn. Um, so really, uh, it's it's uh, humbling. It's it's a, it's an amazing achievement for me. Uh, it's a humbling moment for myself to be able to take a look back and see where how far I've come and the people that we've worked with have come. Did you think that it could it could have become what it is these days? I mean, again, folks didn't really know a lot about flood insurance yeah. and didn't understood what FEMA flood maps were. But you were the one who has who's guided folks and when they were errors in the maps you were willing to kind of take the time to say hey there are issues here this needs to be looked at again yeah well you know when we did our 10-year celebration just about a week ago um uh, less than a week ago uh we as a board you know and the the people that were there was great we were able to go through the list of things we've done over the years and say who was here for when we did this and who was here for when we did that right and to your point, I think one of the things that we've done over the years is elevate the conversation. I'm sure that there are outfits that would have talked about this or people that would have talked about this and made it a big issue. But really, the one thing we did was bring attention to this major concern. And it's something that has now been wrapped into other conversations that are even more prevalent, things such as environmental concerns and climate change and those types of things. So... Uh, it's an issue that's only getting built even bigger since those early days. And, and you know, if you would look back 10 years ago, we weren't necessarily talking about rising seas, were we? Not like we are today. I remember when the town of Marshfield, specifically when I was involved, uh, did their sea level uh, rise study. And that was really interesting because it was the first time, at least that I was aware of, that a local community really kind of put their foot out there to say, here's our projections sure. for the next, you know, 100 years. Um, but now that type of stuff is done regularly. In fact, if it's not incorporated into some type of large-scale planning um, uh, your plan, then it's not – the town hasn't done their diligence if they're coastal. So it's definitely something that has broadened the conversation um, and, and something that has uh, evolved to be the normal conversation. I mean, you look at things like just recently Hurricane Ian that impacted Florida. Mm. And we have people saying, you know, oh, you know, climate change has driven, you know, storms to intensify like they have. And that's, that conversation is certainly out there and, and fine to have. But there's so many other tentacles that normally wouldn't be talked about that are now. For example, uh, the cost of insurance 
outside and we're not just talking flood the cost of insurance in general when i went down to florida it was funny when we, i went down in florida for a conference in may and, it, and i'd like to joke that florida is the only state that i think insurance makes the prime time news down there because of how big of an issue it is mm. but when we see these types of storms happen the cost of the insurance company's insurance we call that reinsurance is skyrocketing and this is something that's affecting everybody's pocketbook it's not just the pocketbooks of the people down in florida which you know they are impacted in more ways than just the cost of the insurance i mean the disasters themselves but you'll you know if you see an increase in your policy or or you see in your homeowners or flood a private flood but mostly in your homeowners if you see an increase or a change in your deductible those are direct effects of these storms so the con like you said, the conversation has totally changed. We're not just talking about climate change and how it impacts the storms. It's costing all of us as a country more money. How does inflation play a role in flood insurance? Does it also play a role? Well, yeah, I mean, again, the broader conversation around insurance, inflation certainly does play a role because as things cost more, yeah. you have to insure for more and the insurance is more expensive. And uh, it's one of those... Um, concerns that inflation definitely has a role to play. Um, that's what we like to say as a side note is if you haven't reviewed your policy to make sure that it's keeping up with the cost of inflation, that's always a good thing to do. So it's interesting. I'm, I'm on the um, uh, Massachusetts Coastal Coalition website. Yes. Jo uh, JoeFloodRossi.com. Oh, that would be uh, my personal website. Oh, it's your personal. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, let's. Uh, but I, I, on here it says the MCC mission. The mission of the MCC is to educate, advocate, and inform professional and stakeholders regionally and nationally on flood hazards. Yes. Has that changed, and have the goals changed for MCC? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things we did in our 10-year anniversary is recap all the things we've done over the years. And one of the things in 2018, we just tweaked our mission and goals just a little bit. It stayed pretty much the same. You know, what we did was took our mission from the town of Marshfield and brought that mission to the rest of the state. And in doing so, we tweaked our mission statement to remain at its core, information, advocacy, and education. Those are really the key three pillars of what we do. But we changed it to broaden our scope to educate stakeholders and professionals at a regional and national level, whereas before it was just to educate stakeholders. So, you know, we've, we've so with that mission statement just broadened slightly, and the goals changed very slightly to to go with the mission but that's still what we do educate inform advocate and i think right now one of the biggest advocacy pieces and we have legislative leaders helping us with this is to broaden the acceptance of private flood insurance here in massachusetts we have a bill that's been proposed that will allow the private definition of private flood insurance to be less burdensome on the individual and the insurance agents to allow the sale of private flood to be uh, easier in the state. And believe it or not, when you're talking about private flood insurance, insurance from other sources than the NFIP or the national program, it's actually a state issue. So each state has to go through and pass its own bill to allow this definition to be broadened. And I would say about 20 to 25 states have passed those bills. Closest to us is, I believe, it's been Rhode Island and 
I think New Hampshire, but so there's states around us already doing this. It just makes sense for Massachusetts to do it as well. Just tuning in, we are speaking with Joe Rossi, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Coal uh, Coastal Coalition. You can check out their website, noflood, K-N-O-W, flood.org. Uh, Joe likes him. Joe's middle name is Flood because <laughs> he knows so much uh, about it. I'm looking at the website, and the website's kind of come a long way. And I didn't realize you guys actually have a newsletter as well. Yeah, we have a we've we've moved our newsletter to twice a year, um, and that allows us to kind of pick up what's going on. We we came to the conclusion that there's a lot that when there's a lot going on, we end up sending up regular updates anyways. So yeah. those get shot out, and then we have a newsletter that kind of collects all those into one place. Um, the biggest news from the MCC this year is I moved into an executive director role and out of the chairmanship role. And our chairman, who's Tim Williams, uh, a insurance agent and expert locally um, on other issues, uh, has taken the reins as chair. And he's already done a really good job for us um, and kind of kept the mission going uh, over the last year. So it's been an exciting time. So is it is it strong board... Weak ED or is a strong ED? We how does that work? Uh, we work really well together. Okay, but I would say no, I, I didn't know as far as as far as the the power yeah. structure was with. I think as I think my goal and it has been for the last few years is to allow the board. Right, you know, I've I, the MCC. Uh, it's been no mystery to anyone involved with what we do. <laughs> is I drive a lot of what what we do, and the board goes along with it. And I think. Uh, the MCC needs some new leadership. I mean, it's time for there to be a more holistic view of so what we do. So it doesn't get stagnant, right? Yeah, mm. and that's good for any organization. So I think a strong board with a, I won't call it weak, but a weaker executive director would be a better scenario for us um, because as I tell the board, I will do what you want me to do, but a lot of it is still driven by what's going on in the industry. And as you alluded to earlier, my involvement in the industry permeates pretty deep um, from anywhere from the chairman of the Big Eyes Legislative Subcommittee to the incoming chair in 2023 of the Flood Insurance Producers National Committee. So, and, and these boards interact directly with FEMA leadership on flood issues. So taking those responsibilities, I kind of project those on our mission to make sure that we're um, reaching out to stakeholders appropriately. Interesting enough. Uh, Tom O'Brien uh, has come back in, and he actually has a question in regards to this area. Do you I not? do, I do. I'm fascinated <laughs> listening to this. And Joe, you mentioned about the legislation earlier, and that this legislation filed up on Beacon Hill. Yeah. I imagine with this session winding down, that's something that might be refiled next yes. legislative yeah. session. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. And so, who are the sponsors of that this year, or do you sure? Know yeah. Going to sponsor it in the future? Or? Yeah. It's actually locally. We've had uh, Rep Kearney and uh, Senator O'Connor. Um, both were sponsors in the House and the Senate, and then there's a list of several local reps who, and state senators who ended up uh, coming along on that bill, co-sponsoring. So um, that is how this session's bill went. Um, and I don't know the exact list, but there were a slew of those that were on it. Well, it's obviously important to Plymouth County, and so... You know, if you could flesh it out a little bit, I was fascinated by this. Sure. The concept of private flood insurance versus yeah. what we have now. So yeah. what would the bill actually do? 
So the bill and and, and you know it's interesting. This is um, the there is a, a national legislative group called the National Leg, um, Ncoil, the National Coalition of Insurance Legislators. And we need another acronym. Don't yeah, we? <laughs> yeah. And I've always trying to piece them together. So Ncoil came out. And they they come out with their their model bills, and they actually came out with a model private flood insurance bill. And so what this bill does is it does several things. It standardizes the um, definition of private flood so that a um, homeowner's uh, private flood insurance policy is going to be more acceptable by the lenders so that the private flood company doesn't feel like they have to meet the state definition because there is technically a federal lending definition that we all have to meet. So the federal definition is different than like a state's definition. That's problem number one. The second thing it'll do is it will remove the requirement, and I'm going to explain this, for an insurance agent to do what's called diligent effort on a private flood policy. What that means is if I'm going to go purchase a policy from Lloyd's of London, as an insurance agent, I have to prove to the state I went first to three other carriers that were based in the U.S., and they couldn't provide me with that coverage. Then I go to Lloyd's of London. Well, for floods specifically, there are very few, if any, domestic providers. So by putting that burden in there, you're basically having to prove to the state something that you really can't prove. And that is a, a state requirement that needs to be lifted. So that's another thing the bill would do. And finally, and, and I'll just throw this in, we amended the bill, the model legislation, to require the insurance commissioner to actually track the placement of private flood. I think it's extremely important for the state to know how many policies and what's actually going on in the state and be able to report that out in a way that's understandable to communities because communities care about how many flood insurance mm -hmm. policies are, especially coastal ones. And that data at a granular level is very difficult to find. So I, I have plenty of questions, but I don't want to... Yeah, because we're getting ready to wrap up. But was this our first filing for this bill? Yes, it was. All right. It was. And we're hoping that um, with some advocacy on our end and uh, some more advocacy from the legislators that were involved who have been great so far on this, that uh, we'll be able to at some point get it across the finish line. Any one piece of uh, part of the legislation that got, got hung up in the translation or understanding? Yeah, our bill was actually more modeled off of the South Carolina bill, which ironically is what the Model Act was based off of. So we kept some of the things that was were stripped out of the Model Act, mostly because the Model Act by NCOIL was very basic, and we liked some of the things South Carolina did. And in the legislative hearing, some of the more national players here didn't feel like our bill was suitable. Was suitable. They mm. felt like it should really be stripped down to the NCOIL model. To be honest, that's fine. I think both of them get the same thing done. So at the end of the day, there's no uh, real disagreement that this needs to pass, but it will. it does need to pass. Like I said, about 25 other states have done this. South Carolina and Florida are leaders. Uh, Massachusetts should be as well. Do you have one more question you want to ask him right out of the gate? <laughs> well, sure. So, obviously, a huge issue for Plymouth County. Yeah. Really appreciate your leadership and advocacy on this issue. I'm sure the legislative delegation is on top of it. Uh, but I think you're right. What you're going to need to do is is get that explanation out there because, like me, most people don't even know. Yeah. So the last question I had was, and, and it follows up on what Kevin was saying, why 
why wouldn't you do this? I mean, yeah. what are people possibly giving it as a reason to mm. to oppose this legislation? Well, right now, I think there wasn't necessarily oppose, anyone opposing it, just possibly tweaking the bill. There was some language, and, and I forget exactly what the biggest opposition in terms of the language as is was. Um, but the at the end of the day, the core values of the bill to streamline the definition of private flood, to remove diligent effort, and to um, mark policies as tr or tracking policies, those are all things that are favorable. So I think it's hashing them out, making sure that the bill um, reads maybe a little closer to the in-coil model bill, which is still those core values are there and getting it across the finish line. So I think it's something that is primed for Massachusetts to do. Um, and as soon as we do it as a state, uh, it'll really, I would say, in states that have passed these bills, um, it has uh, increased the number of flood insurance policies in the private industry by double. So I think Massachusetts is definitely, uh, we're primed to do it, and I think we need to. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And now, as we get ready to wrap up our segment here, sure. Joe, we, we, I know you can easily talk for another 45 minutes without even trying <laughs> yeah, yeah. about this. If folks have questions, if folks are thinking about looking deeper into uh, a flood insurance policy or a plan or updating it, how can they find out more or be able to be able to speak to an expert like yourself? Sure. So um, as you can imagine, my inbox gets full very quickly. Absolutely. So we have an insurance advocate actually on staff at the Costa Coalition, which is great. So individuals that want to reach out, they can just email us at info at noflood.org or if you go to the website, you can click on a tab on our services page, and we have a form to ask flood insurance questions. Um, that's actually getting some community CRS credit. So uh, if you go there and you fill out the form, submit your question, uh, I just saw today we had a few come through, and we get back to you on, um, uh, on a week's notice. So very quickly for our staff to kind of get gather those up and, and get them out. So, yeah, if you go there, if you're looking for questions on, flood insurance and placement of flood insurance and i've got a lot of questions do i sell flood insurance the answer is surprisingly no uh, our brokerage is a wholesaler so we sell insurance to other insurance agents but if you reach out we can tell you which local agents we write with if you really want to buy a policy that i'm associated with in some way so um but yeah it's been uh, like I started with, it's been a really wild couple of years for me, and it's been a lot of fun, uh, and uh, I can't wait to see what will happen in the next year. And the flood industry and the program itself is continuing to evolve. Um, so I just hope we can get through this little blip of a storm coming through Florida without many issues. I think we will. Excellent. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you're not done with having conversations about flood insurance here on 95.9 WATD, especially Monday Night Talk. So we look forward to more conversations with you. I could do another hour easily, so I, I, I'll be back soon. You got it. <laughs> All right, we're going to step aside. When we come back, more Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. Stay tuned. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. My name is Rayla Campbell. I'm running for Secretary of State of Massachusetts. You have a clear choice in November. I don't take money from unions or special interests, and I've never had a government job. I will bring transparency, a new face with fresh ideas to the office, as opposed to the person who feels entitled to the job and is out of touch with the everyday American. I'm from here. I love it here. 
I will work hard for you and protect you as a voter with no apologies. I look forward to your support in November. I'm Rayla Campbell. I'm running for Secretary of State of Massachusetts, and I approve this message. McGuigan's Pub is an upscale Irish pub with all the class of a Boston pub. The menu offers favorites like steak tips, fish and chips, meatloaf, as well as burgers, sandwiches, and pizza. The relaxed, comfortable atmosphere at McGuigan's makes it the perfect place to eat, drink, and socialize with family and friends. New hours are Tuesday through Thursday, 4 to close, Friday through Sunday, 11.30 to close. McGuigan's Pub is at 546 Washington Street in Whitman, with the full menu available at McGuigan'sPub.com. Hi, my name is Alex Bizantin, and I'm running for Plymouth County Commissioner. I am the former chairman of the Abington Conservation Commission, former vice chairman of the Plymouth County Advisory Board, former Abington Water Commissioner, and now serving in my second term as Abington Selectman. If you would like to learn more about my candidacy, please visit my website at alexbazanson.org or follow me on Facebook. I am Alex Bazanson for Plymouth County Commissioner, and I approve this message. is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. All right, we are back. And now remember, hour number two. So we get to talk about uh, some of the races on your ballot as you step in and uh, cast one tomorrow between 7 a.m. and 8 p.m. Joining us right now is a candidate uh, for state attorney general. We have Andrea Campbell joining us. Uh, Andrea, welcome back to Monday Night Talk. Thank you, and thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Just so you know, also, we have uh, just kind of sitting in because he's waiting for his turn at the mic uh, at the top of the hour is uh, Plymouth County Treasurer Tom O'Brien. Tom is on? I am, Andrea. One of your biggest Hi, fans and supporters. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Great to hear your voice. Uh, great to hear great yours. To be on with both of you. Uh, yeah, well, certainly great, great to be here and glad to hear you the day before. I'm sure you've been out and about the Commonwealth and excited about tomorrow. Absolutely. Working hard. And, and as we've said from the beginning, you know, not taking anyone or anything for granted. Uh, and we'll work all the way until the polls close tomorrow night at 8. Yeah, I was going to liken what's, you know, an election is like running the Boston Marathon. And, you know, probably the weekend was like, you know, clearing Heartbreak Hill and you're heading towards the finish line. What do you need to do over the next 24 hours to, to kind of see this through? It's one, just continuing to get out there and reminding folks to vote. You know, I think folks are so busy with their families, health care concerns, their jobs their children, um, that civic engagement isn't usually at the top of the list. And I've been stressing to folks, not only is it important to vote, but the Attorney General's office really does affect the daily life of constituents when it comes to housing affordability, inflation, everything having to do with mental health, access to health care, the well-being of our children, and so much more. And so if folks really want to be a part of that and making sure this office is responsive to their needs, uh, they need to show up. And so I've been getting out there encouraging folks to vote and working really hard to earn their support. Well, what seems to be the one key issue that you keep having people ask you about? There's always, I think in every race, there's usually one issue or one item that folks can't talk enough about and want to hear from the candidates on it, on the particular issue. I would say right now it actually is, is at least two. I mean, there's a whole bunch, but at least mm-hmm. two, and, and it actually is reflective of a conversation I had with the mayor 
of Amesbury today. I was in the North Shore, uh, and it's mental health, and particularly in the context of children, the uptick in depression and anxiety that families are seeing and making sure their kids have access to affordable, accessible behavioral health services is a major issue. Um, in addition to that, housing and just affordability, just how expensive it is to live in Massachusetts, especially if you're a senior or a veteran or someone on a fixed income. And so I've been stressing, I think there's a lot of tools in the AG's office to help, particularly in the context of economic prosperity in ways that we don't normally think about it. Tom, do you have a question? I do. Andrea, I was always impressed when you came down here to Plymouth County. I think you were here five or six or seven times that you took the time to get out, meet with the constituency, to meet with individuals, local businesses, uh, and really hear what they had to say. Um, More so than I've seen in many candidates. I was hoping you might be able to tell us a story from this week, maybe something that happened that was a highlight uh, during the campaign trail, uh, a memory that you captured and wanted to share with us. Oh, there's so many. Um, If anything, it's tonight I'm taking moments to just reflect. Uh, Obviously, being in Plymouth County was remarkable, but really meeting with the businesses and going out and checking out the oysters, right? But looking how critical it is for an AG's office to show up to protect our environment, but most importantly, our bays of water, um, and how critical it is for economic opportunities, jobs in regions of the state. And you want a fierce advocate on those issues. So I learned a great deal um, visiting some of those businesses. Um, but I, I will also say I really enjoyed the aspect of just bringing communities together. We're often just a disjointed state in many ways. So what does it mean to bring our urban centers together with our suburban or rural communities that are grappling with similar issues, but do it in a way that brings people together, unlike what we're seeing uh, nationally? No, certainly that makes sense, and uh, you've done such a great job getting out there and connecting. What, what are your plans uh, the day after the election? <laughs> to sleep. Um, <laughs> um, for my husband to drop off my kids. Normally, uh, my kids, our kids, normally I do uh, morning drop-off. My husband does the evening. Uh, we, have a, uh, we run a tight ship in our house, and I hope to sleep in. Um, and for him to do some of that, and, uh, and just to take it in, you know, it's been a lot of, in many ways, a whirlwind. Um, but there's a lot of folks to thank. I believe in doing thank you calls. So there's a lot of folks to thank. Uh, but sleep and then thank people. <laughs> and how has, I kind of feel sense that there's a little bit of a team between, team effort between yourself and uh, uh, gubernatorial candidate Maura Healy. What's that relationship been like? It's incredible, and obviously she exercised political courage when she got involved in the primary uh, for the AG's, AG race, um, which is unusual if you're running for office. Um, so that says a lot about her. But I think one thing we've stressed is not only how historic all of these races are, including the lieutenant governor's race, sure. uh, but obviously we have uh, you know, Diana running for uh, state auditor. It's really exciting the number of women running statewide. Um, and Kim Driscoll and I were just together recently in Revere. But I think for us, it's looking at all the ways we can partner to get things done. And that's what I'm most excited about is how do you step out of the AG's office, out of the governor's role, to say, okay, what can we work on in partnership to really deliver for constituents? And I think there's a lot to do in the context of housing, economic opportunity, jobs, obviously everything related to the key and transportation. So I'm excited about the possibility. It's interesting knowing that, uh, you know, some at some point in time tomorrow night, uh, 
there's a very good there's a, there's a possibility and I don't want to count the votes before they're cast but you could have women in all of the constitutional offices here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts how does that make you feel it's amazing you know I, I often say we live in the best state in the nation and I think everything having to do with the Supreme Court reminds us of that how, how just how many progressive laws we have in the books to protect our residents especially in the context of access to reproductive health care, um, keeping us safe and making sure no one's just openly carrying guns on our streets. We have such progressive laws on the books. So we already lead the country with respect to the issues. Now we have an opportunity to do it when it comes to elected office, to elect more women. Um, no state has ever had a woman in the governor's office and lieutenant governor's office at the same time. Um, Massachusetts will elect a woman of color for the first time if I am elected tomorrow. Um, in the history of the Commonwealth, that I don't take that lightly. Um, or, you know, be the first black woman to serve in the role of AG and the first black woman to win a statewide office. So there is a lot of first that can happen tomorrow. People turn out to vote. And that's really exciting because, again, it puts Massachusetts in the leadership role, which is where we should be given just how historic our state is with respect to so many issues. Well, we, I would like to issue, uh, and um, if you are successful tomorrow night in, in securing this and in, in being elected to this office, uh, to be a guest on this radio program uh, on a regular basis as the need is seen fit uh, to share information as the things that are going on in the AG's office. Absolutely, and, and I've stressed this too. The local radio station with the local paper really delivered for us and continue to. Um, I'm finding just in the primary, we would not have been successful in that primary if it weren't for the local radio stations and the papers getting out information to their constituents, their residents, reminding them to get out and vote. Uh, the mainstream media doesn't always do that consistently. Um, so I look forward to continuing to support local outlets who are on the ground every day. So I, I welcome that. Uh, we'll have to get there first, which, of course, we're going to work hard to do just that. But I absolutely welcome that. It's really important. Andrea, it's Tom O'Brien again. You're such an impressive candidate, uh, as I've had a chance to watch you over the, the last year. One thing that never ceases to amaze me, however, is your energy. And as I says, we sit here the day before the election. I know I myself have had a number of campaigns. Uh, I've been in office for 26 years. The energy level you bring the night before the election is truly remarkable. Uh, so that's just a sign of your enthusiasm, not just for the job, but for the people that you're going to serve. I'm very excited about your election. I'm very confident you're going to win. Wishing you all the best of luck tomorrow, uh, and uh, good luck with that election. We just can't wait Thank for a positive so result. Uh, and lastly, uh, any information you want to give out to the to the voters uh, if they want to find if at this eleventh hour they want more information about your campaign, how can they find out more? AndreaCampbell.org. Um, everything is on our website. Our social media, everything related to the issues that I will champion as the next AG. So people, please check out our website, AndreaCampbell.org. We put a lot of information on there so people can then go out and make an informed vote. But I hope to earn their vote tomorrow, and we'll be working all the way through 8 p.m. when the polls close. And we definitely wish you the best of luck, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you both. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and talk to you soon. You got this Take year. care, Andrea. Andrea Campbell, Campbell our, our, um, our guest for... This segment, and closing out the first hour of Monday Night Talk, 
Um, Tom, thanks for jumping in and being my co-host. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. (laughs) See, Kevin, this was very smart of you. You've asked me to do this before, but I forget how much fun it is. So you you make it enjoyable. I'm glad to have been able to step in, and maybe you can get me to come more often. And it's worth noting that I didn't mention, I didn't make the comment that it's conceivable that we can all of the concerts, but there is is one particular office that it may be... uh, uh, a steeper, <laughs> steeper climb, but it's it's while while individuals still on the ballot, it's it, still possible. It is, it is. I would say probably remotely possible, but as I was pointing out, I think it's my humble opinion that yep. the Secretary of State will probably be Bill Galvin, uh, and so we would have four of the five constitutional officers okay. held by women. Okay. Well, with that, <laughs> let's do this, Larry. Let's let's uh, let's step aside for a couple of moments when we come back. We talk about the ballot and talk about uh, the, the big go, election. I have to go find the lost commissioner. Oh, commissioner! Oh, he's, oh, he is, he's somewhere well, there. Well, he comes in and then he scurries about. He wanders. He, he does. He so does. we'll have to we'll have to bring him back into studio. We'll be back. You're tuned in to Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. Don't go anywhere. Marshfield, WBMS Brockton. The South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. WATD. Streaming online at 959WATD.com and with your smart speaker just by saying play WATD. Voters on this day before the midterms. The state of our democracy is probably the top issue for me. Wall-to-wall ads. She knows Oz better than anyone. What's at stake? Control of the U.S. Senate runs through 10 battleground races. This is the CBS World News Roundup Late Edition. I'm Jennifer Kuyper in Chicago. Candidates make a final push on this day before the midterm elections as voters weigh the issues most important to them. In Georgia... Economy, security... LGBT rights, abortion rights, women's rights... There is a closely watched U.S. Senate race in Georgia between Democrat incumbent Raphael Warnock and Republican challenger Herschel Walker. And another in Pennsylvania between Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz and Democrat Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. CBS's Wendy Gillette spoke to voters in Pittsburgh. Pam Janovac is the kind of voter both Senate campaigns so badly need to woo right now. She's undecided. Typically today is the day that I do my research. I usually do it the day before voting because... They've all said what they need to say. Any particular way you're leaning? I typically go Republican as default, but um, I haven't been super happy with either side. Polls show the race is a toss-up. Wendy Gillette, CBS News, Pittsburgh. I'm Peter King in Orlando. The campaign ads here in Florida are still relentless. Charlie Crist approved the largest tax increase in state history. Ron DeSantis is making it harder to get by. And the gubernatorial candidates are making their last-minute pitches in person as well. Republican Ron DeSantis here in Orlando and in South Florida, along with Senator Marco Rubio, 
Democrat Charlie Crist on the Space Coast and then South Florida with Senate hopeful Val Demings. As CBS's Scott McFarland reports, both parties are vying for control of Congress. Control of the U.S. Senate hangs in the balance on Election Day. There are 10 battleground races we're watching closely. Democrats trying to hold five of those seats to maintain the majority. Georgia, New Hampshire, Arizona, Colorado, and Nevada. And both parties jockeying for Pennsylvania in particular. More than a quarter of a billion dollars has been spent trying to win the Commonwealth. Election officials warn it could be days before final vote counts are finished in many races. A judge blocks the hand count of early ballots in Pima County, Arizona, a measure sought by Republicans who don't trust vote counting machines. The Biden administration says it's not surprised by comments from a Russian businessman who said he had interfered in U.S. elections and would continue to do so. The claims came from a Russian caterer close to Vladimir Putin. State Department spokesman Ned Price. We have sanctioned this individual, Yevgeny Prigozhin, uh, since 2018 for his interference in our uh, election processes and institutions. Wall Street climbs ahead of Election Day. The Dow closed up 424 points. NASDAQ rose 89. Now this. Presented by Rocket Mortgage. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there. For home loan solutions that fit your life, Rocket can. Good evening. After the record stretch of high temperature... Plymouth nudging 80 degrees Monday. Quite a change now with Canadian air clear. And going into Election Day morning, the first ever total lunar eclipse. You have a good view as the full moon sets in the western sky around 5, 6, 7 in the morning. And the sun comes up. The temperature is not going to rise very quickly. Despite all the sunshine, brisk, a high of 52. Tuesday night, clear and cold, low 30. 36 in Boston. Wednesday, again, a good deal of sunshine, not much wind in the low 50s. Thursday, sun mixing with clouds, milder in the mid-60s. Meanwhile, we'll watch Nicole over the next few days. Looks like strengthening to a hurricane as it makes landfall on the east coast of Florida Thursday and, and turning our way with some rain and wind by early Saturday. For WATD, I'm meteorologist Rob Gilman. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi, on 95.9 WATD. Each year, about one out of two men and one out of three women will develop cancer. But there's good news. Today's cancer survival odds are much better than two or even three years ago. Things move that fast. So if you're diagnosed, be sure to have someone in your corner who is on top of all the latest cancer treatments and techniques, the latest research, the newest equipment, all the newest medicines available through clinical trials. And speaking of corners, here's more good news. Advanced Cancer Care is now just around the corner. The Green Cancer Center at Signature Healthcare treats patients locally with all oncology services and specialties conveniently housed under one roof. The center is affiliated with Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, so you'll be seen by Harvard medical faculty physicians and oncologists. The Green Cancer Center at Signature Healthcare, in affiliation with Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Cancer has just met its match. Find out why at mysignaturecare.org slash cancercare. I'm Peter Brown of Tiny and Sons Auto Glass in Pembroke. People ask me, is there anything they can do to prevent getting a broken windshield? Is there anything I can do to prevent getting a broken windshield? See, there is. Those big gravel trucks, when they're being loaded, rocks get stuck in the framework of the bed. Truck hits a bump, rock hits your windshield, it pays to stay way back. It pays to stay way back. However, 
If your windshield is broken, just call 1-888-64-TINIES. And thank you. Download the Monday Night Talk podcast from iTunes for free. Just search for Monday Night Talk WATV. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. All right, we are back here on Monday Night Talk, the second hour of Monday Night Talk. And uh, joining me here, as we did uh, the eve of the primary election, we have... Plymouth County Commissioner Jared Valenzuela. I like that you had Joe Rossi, Joe Flood Rossi on at the top, and the song that just brought us in was uh, Hurricane. I had nothing to do with that. It's amazing how how that just works out. Just kind of worked. Uh, it's worked so great, out. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Pleasure to be back as always, Kevin. Thank you for having me. And of course, thank you as all. Yes. I'm glad that we were able to kind of arrange this. Uh, Tom O'Brien, who kind of served a little bit as a co-host this evening. Well, I stepped in uh, when, <laughs> he did. Yes, he did. when, when I needed to, and happy to be here. And again, Kevin, you were smart to book Jared and I a month ago, because I can tell you the demand for the two of us has been very high. <laughs> yes. We, we, the roof. we canceled three other obligations, said sorry. We're on Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi this evening for pre-election, because they heard us on primary night, and I tell you, the calls were coming in. They were. Western Massachusetts, the North Shore, we want O'Brien and Valenzuela. See, and I'll note we're wearing, you know, the collar the ties. Collars, we're I wearing. saw that. I saw that. I did see that. Opposite of our party affiliation. I have the neutral black on. You do know that is. Look, this has been a a very well coordinated uh, evening. It, it's and it's also yeah. worth noting that you know the two of you work so well together. Yet you can have your philosophical differences, and we most certainly do. <laughs> and, and and that's okay. It is. It is. It, it is. And it's interesting, Kevin, and, you know, I wish there were more of this. I think that it exists at the state level more than the national level. But Jared and I disagree about a lot, but we disagree in thoughtful, civil, um, a thoughtful, civil manner. We have conversations, and we continue to respect what each other brings to the table. It allows us to be incredibly effective as a county. Not every good idea comes from the Democrats. Not every good idea comes from the Republicans. The good ideas comes from sharing your thoughts and your opinions with each other in a way that you can learn. Seems like it's a lost art when it comes to uh, friends down in Congress. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm it shocked is. at that. I really, I look here and I see our state delegation in Plymouth County almost evenly split between Republican and Democrat. Yeah, it is. And they get along famously and work well together. You know, I just have to hope maybe... Maybe we're going to set the trend for the national level. Maybe I, they can learn from us. I can enter two quick tangent thoughts on that because I know we got a jam. You only get hour. one tangent thought. Well, we do, and we have a guest on hold. There, so. there are two that merge together. But but to that end, to the to the treasurer's point, I took a great course in college and why I think Congress is the way it is. One, the advent of commercial air travel. So when people were actually in Washington D.C., they couldn't just go back and forth. Now you're down there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You're home Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Right. It's so easy to go back and forth, and the example I always use is Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch, and you couldn't get more diametrically opposite than Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch ideologically. Orrin Hatch, the former senator from Utah, very right, very conservative, and yet he eulogized, he was one of the eulogizers at Ted Kennedy's funeral. Why? Because you know what? They sent their kids to the same schools in D.C. They saw each other out with their wives at dinner, and I think a lot of that happens with our local delegation. They see each other, they're at things together, and you you humanize. And the other thing is C-SPAN and the advent of playing for the camera. Fred Thompson, who's a former Republican senator from Tennessee, some may recall him as the district attorney on Law and Order, had the joke, 
Washington, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> see, I, see, I liked him better in Days of Thunder. With That's, right. That's right. <laughs> we got a black right. flag you. Take yes. your cars apart. When you get done, put them back together. That's then right. maybe we'll put you back on the track. I love it. <laughs> It's a great movie. It was. Oh, and Red October. Yes, that's right? right. That boy spent the last eight months of his of his time in the Marines in traction. I I advise you to go easy on him. <laughs> Sorry. Love it. Anyways, uh, we have a we actually so we put the call out and we said, hey, if you're a candidate, now does it uh, kind of abridge what we're gonna get into and talk about our thoughts on these races? Sure, but you know what? We're gonna open the phone lines up. Uh, I believe we have Anthony Amore joining us. Uh, Anthony, welcome back to Monday Night Talk. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. And just to be fair, we have um, Tom O'Brien, Plymouth County Treasurer, and Jared Valenzola, Plymouth County Commissioner. Hello, fellas. How are you? We're fine. Thanks, Anthony. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to hear from you, Anthony, as always, sir. Likewise. I, w- I was going to say, Anthony, this is Tom O'Brien. I was impressed with uh, one of your rollouts up at the State House, except I noticed one of the figures lurking in the background <laughs> was my beloved county commissioner. So I might suggest next time maybe move him camera left a little right. bit. That might help you. That might help you in the future. Just a thought. Well, they tried to have Governor Weld blocking me. I tried to make sure I was behind him. I didn't want to take away from the, the very lovely afternoon that we had there. Well, I, want, I wanted to make sure we had an elected uh, in the crowd that people could see. So Thank you. Good to have Jared uh, uh, front and center when we can. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate that. Uh, so, so Anthony, here we are, the eleventh hour. Um, what are you? What are you telling folks as they get ready to head out in the morning and cast a ballot uh, for the state election um, come November eighth? You know, that's the key question, and it, you know, it just gets down to letting people, reminding people, and telling people, and letting them know that in this race. There's a person who has done audits and inspections and investigations for 30 years. That's me. And uh, my opponent has never done one in her entire life. And she's never led any organization of any size. And I've led really large organizations inside and outside the government. And if people want somebody who can do the job on day one, I'm the guy. And that's what people should expect. They should expect competency and experience and professionalism. And they should expect somebody who is not beholden to special interest. I have no special interest money in this campaign. And my opponent has $800,000 worth of union money um, promoting her. So I think it's a clear choice. Uh, and if folks want to find out more about your campaign, how can they do that? They can go to my website, which is amore2022.com. That's A-M-O-R-E 2022.com. Excellent. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for calling in, at least uh, ushering uh, a last, uh, you know, for the folks here on the South Shore who might be on the fence and undecided, uh, a little bit of uh, helpful information. I really appreciate the time, guys. Thank you. Yeah, and Anthony, it's been a pleasure um, supporting your campaign and, and, and helping out where I can. Um, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's I am optimistic and hopeful that there are going to be a lot of independent voters across the state who are going to... Uh, pull the lever for you. They're going to be voting for a lot of Democrats, I think, tomorrow in Massachusetts. Um, but we have a great opportunity. And in, in all the endorsements, you have the endorsement of every major newspaper, current Governor Baker, former Governor Swift and Weld. Um, those folks know what what one party rule on, on Beacon Hill will look like and the type of balance that you can hopefully bring uh, to the auditor's office would be would be much needed. 
Thank you, Jared. It's been an honor to work with you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we push on, gentlemen. Let's let's talk about you know the the races that we see, especially for constitutional offices. Uh, I mean, what race what race particularly interests each of you? Whether it's the governor, lieutenant governor race, attorney general, auditor, secretary of state. Um, well, we already know the treasurer. I think is kind of <laughs> oh, the libertarian could could come on strong in oh, an hour. Don't think that's going to happen. Actually, I'm just going to weigh in quickly on the auditors' race. I I think that uh, certainly Anthony has run a, a great campaign. Um, I, I will say it's certainly a bit of an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, he is running against a sitting state senator. Uh, not easy. She has worked hard and tirelessly as well. Uh, just to to make that note. I would say of all the races, that's probably going to be the closest, uh, but it's still an uphill battle. Um, it's tough. I think there's a, a fissure in the Republican state party that makes it a bit of a challenge uh, there. And so, um, you know, I'd be watching that race, but uh, I certainly think that uh, Diane DeZoglio has worked very, very hard and comes with a certain resume. I wouldn't totally discount that. Your counter? Yeah, I mean, so I, I commiserate with the auditor's race because it's the sixth of the six statewide constitutional offices. I think a lot of folks um, don't pay attention to it, much like, say, a Plymouth County commissioner race where um, the airwaves here constantly ask if we should be eliminated. So um, I think they're retiring that question. I think they are. I, I, I'm glad Rep. It's... Cutler has <laughs> asked for that. That's the best thing that has come out of this cycle so far. But, you know, to counter that, Anthony has, has brought technical experience and certainly senator zoglio has been no has not been afraid to stand up to the beacon hill establishment which which is refreshing she doesn't have that technical expertise i come from a family of cpas and uh, and uh, comptrollers and accountants and it's one thing to be able to do these things in a broader stroke it's another thing to bring that technical expertise that Anthony Mori brings to the table. And it's been such a pleasure to, to work with him and get to know him. He's extremely humble. Uh, I think it's really disappointing some of the attacks that have come out on him uh, in recent weeks to, to dredge up uh, certain personal matters that, frankly, aren't relevant to how he would carry out that office. Um, and I, I think it will be close. Uh, the treasurer does make a, a good point about the unfortunate fissure in the state Republican Party that could do enough to derail them. And, and I think, too, for me, there were resources that could have been available. Uh, I think if, if there were outside resources that could have potentially got them on television, it's hard to raise money for an auditor's race, right? And Senator Zoglio, as Anthony pointed to, had the built-in apparatus of unions. So she was able to raise a lot of money off of the backs of unions that isn't at the avail of a Republican candidate. He's raised a lot of money. He's, he's done a fantastic job. He's run a great campaign. And, you know, look, one of the other great notes about Anthony Mori before, you know, I assume we're going to want to move on to other races here. Um, real, not real clear. See, real clear politics, RCP. RCV, ranked choice voting, was on the ballot two years ago, I believe, 2020. Mm-hmm. That thing was outspent $10 million to, I think, it was literally Anthony Amore, and another fella leading a grassroots effort to defeat ranked choice voting in Massachusetts. Um, So if there's anybody that can pull off a a race like this with certain odds not necessarily with them, it's going to be Anthony Amore. And I think the people of Massachusetts will be very well served with him in the auditor's office. So the the other question you asked, Kevin, we'll just segue into another another office. Is what what gets 
me excited quite candidly uh, as an active Democrat here in Plymouth County is Maura Healy at the top of the ticket. I think she is a remarkable candidate. I think that she is going to be a breath of fresh air here. Uh, I think she's going to surprise a lot of people uh, with uh, her work ethic. Uh, I think with the resources that she's going to bring to bear. I found her to be terribly thoughtful on a lot of complicated issues. And let's face it, we're dealing with some significantly complicated issues. MBTA, housing, the economy, uh, the, uh, opioid addiction, mental health. There's a lot of things that we need to take care of. And I really am excited because I think she's the right person at the right time for the right job. Easy to say that you, you think that Mar Healy will be our next governor, or do you think that the, we're going to have like we had between Martha Coakley and uh, our current governor, uh, uh, Charlie Baker, where they were kind of, it was a difference of what, like 44,000 votes? Yeah, about 40,000. Yeah, I, uh, I don't see this being that close. I really don't. Um, I think she's run an excellent campaign. There was an interesting article, I think, in the Boston Globe uh, about the deal campaign and mentioning that it was a little bit haphazard. Uh, that strikes me as a fairly accurate statement. Uh, about the campaign. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of energy. There is that that dichotomy in the Republican state party, which causes some challenges. I, I think that Mora is slated for a big victory tomorrow. You know, it's it's going to be an interesting thing to watch as a Republican nationally. We're going to roll and roll pretty big. Um, but you can't be understated enough that schism in the state party, that the, the effect that's going to have uh, not just on uh, our candidate for governor, Jeff Deal, but the entire ticket. Um, you know, to that end, I think Jeff has done a good job of continuing to engage the grassroots, lead a grassroots effort. He beat a well-funded opponent in the primary. Um, unfortunately, when you look at his OCPF, I think some of the money may have been, he raised a lot of, I mean, he raised over a million dollars. You can't take that away from him. It's certainly not the five million, six million Mari Healy has. I was going to say as well, we sort of war chest. Um, and money doesn't necessarily make that world go around. The problem is the polls aren't moving. And I know a lot of my conservative friends dislike the notion of polling, but they generally tell the story. And I think one of the things that is noteworthy is when Rep Deal announced that he was running... Um, when he, was, when he announced he was running, uh, he was eschewing Donald Trump. I'm not going to talk about Donald Trump. Donald Trump has no bearing on this race, and that was, that was Jeff when he announced, which was a smart strategy because as hard as it is for a lot of Republicans in the state to realize, this is Donald Trump's worst state. He's pulled in the low 30s in this state from the moment he came down that escalator to the moment he left the White House. So Jeff smartly eschewed that until several months later when he clamored the for the endorsement. <laughs> And then wins the primary and sort of tries to get off it again. So I, I think his messaging is there I, I, for, for a lot of issues. I mean, there's one I pointed out. I know you have a caller, so I'll, I'll, I'll pause the thought. But the, 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 a lot of the messaging is there. I'm just not sure the, the base of Massachusetts voters, which is independent voters, is necessarily going to embrace it. I'll be voting for him, uh, of course. But I'm not sure there's going to be a Scott Brown 2010 moment or even Charlie Baker, Martha Coakley. At this time, the Real Clear Politics average had Baker ahead of Coakley by this point in the election. So it's it's going to be a tall order. And I know you have a caller, but just... I quick don't follow-up, think, quick follow-up. Yeah, yeah, I don't think his message has been clear at all. Uh, I think he's been all over the map from the beginning to the end. Uh, I think Mora has delivered a much clearer message. Um, I, you know, I don't know... There's a clear path to victory for Republicans of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Jeff Deal chose not to take that path. I will say that I, I, I thought that watching the two debates, I thought 
I thought Jeff won the first one. I thought she won the second one. And so we didn't get to, we didn't get to see that rubber match. You know what I mean? That you know, yeah, Joe he, Frazier, Ali, rubber. You know, we didn't get a rubber match of the, the the two candidates going at it. Yeah, he came out strong. I mean, one of the things <clears throat> I've, I've hypothesized, and I I think it's been generally proven true, is and it's not just attorney generals in Massachusetts mm. that have a losing track record, but it's state treasurers. I think Joe Malone and um, and again other attorney generals. Shannon O'Brien was a, another treasurer. Um, I think because, unfortunately, when you run statewide, aside from governor, by and large, you're not getting strong Republican opposition. So you're generally, if you're a Democrat running for, say, attorney general, like Mara Healy did eight years ago, she had Warren Tolman. She had a tough primary, but she only had to play to the primary base. I can't even remember who she beat in 2014 for (laughs) attorney general. And she had, that's been it, right? So the problem that I think Martha Coakley or Scott Harshbarger or Frank Bellotti has had Shannon O'Brien when they've taken that leap is because they've only dealt within their own party. They, when you run for governor, that is the one seat where the Republican Party plays with a strong candidate, and I think that's why you you've seen this not battle hardened. Yeah, they're not battle hardened, and I think that's why you've seen this string of Republican victories. In that, I think would explain her lackluster. I was personally surprised by how lackluster she was in that first debate. I unfortunately didn't get a chance to see the second debate. Um, but I, I was admittedly surprised by by the lackluster performance. Yeah, I, I thought debate. they both. I think they both had their moments mm-hmm. where they shined. Well, I, you know, I think Jeff Deal made a big mistake not debating his primary opponent. I think he would have learned some skills or practiced and honed those skills a little bit. I, I just thought it was really disappointing. Oh no, I'm not going to debate my opponent. I don't need to debate, or unless it's a forum in a place of my choice and my time and my moderator. Um, I, I really think he could have learned a lot from that process. So um, I would disagree. I thought Maura did a, a very good job. She was stronger in the second debate. Uh, I would have called the first debate a tie. Okay. Let's go to the phone lines. I think we want to take, is Matt the first one up? Okay. So who, who do we have on the line? We got both. Oh, we got both of them on the line. Oh, so they, are they sharing a phone? I think so. Hi, how are you? Hey. Yeah. Thank you. I, hey, I, I'm thinking that there's there's a voice missing though from this from this from from this. Yeah, we, uh, conversation. Are we getting a live rendition? No, no we don't need. <laughs> where are you, where are you guys right now? We actually just left the school committee meeting in Plymouth, so we're standing outside the school committee. We had to do a presentation together tonight, and we heard you were talking, so we figured we'd call in together. And of course, the, go ahead, really Kathy. Cool. Go ahead, Kathy. Oh hi! How's everyone doing? <laughs> We're doing good. And just so so folks know know who's on the phone line, we have uh, state representatives Matt Muratori and Kathy Lenatra representing the first Plymouth and twelfth Plymouth. And it's not surprising. This is Tom O'Brien. It's not surprising. We were just talking about how well uh, the local delegation gets to gets along, and that the national scene, uh, Capitol Hill, could learn a lot from Beacon Hill where you learn to work together, you, you learn to reach across the aisle, find things that, that work for your district as a whole. You two are a perfect example of that. Um, you're there representing the town of Plymouth. I know Matt will probably remind Kathy that he represents the vast majority of the town of Plymouth, uh, but he understands the value of, of working together. Uh, and I've been impressed with that, and, and you guys are, I think, an example of what uh, they could do better on, Beacon, on Capitol Hill rather than in Washington, D.C. I agree, Tom. As you know, if you don't work together, you don't get things done, right? And we want to get things done for our districts, and we really work really well together. And am so, I, um, 
my own personal experience, you, you guys will recall decades ago, I'm sure, Jared would laugh and tease when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Vinny and I uh, shared Plymouth much as you and Matt do right now. Uh, and it's and Vinny friend. hasn't aged today, Tom. <laughs> I know, and I've aged today. <laughs> hasn't. So I'll tell you what, Jared, that just shows who did most of the work. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to make that promise. You know, you and Vinny and Terry, you know, you really led the path, you know, on how it is to be a legislator in this area. And as Kathy said, it's about working together to get things done for the people. It's not about our egos. It's not about, you know, anything else but that. And that, that's what we did. That's what we've done. And I, I know that, that's why we did the commercial together, show people we work together for people of Plymouth. That's, that's our job. One of the things, uh, reps, uh, representatives, that I, I have noted in conversations, I'm glad you allude to the commercial rep meritory, but... Because one of the things that I've noted to people is I love history and a lot of people that know me know that. And I, I recall making the comment that, that your seats uh, in the Massachusetts legislature predate the existence of the Republican Party and the Democrat Party by at a minimum 140 years, 150 years. And, and I make that point to illustrate the fact that you are you're both tasked with representing one community. And it's important that you do that together, right? You, you need to, to accomplish the common goals of the community, and, and you both do it uh, extremely well. I've had the pleasure of getting to know you both in my role and capacity, um, where I think we do a, a good job at the county level. But um, I, I think that's such an important thing to know. People forget that, that, that I'm not a Republican county commissioner, and Tom's not a Democrat county treasurer. We're Plymouth County. You are, you're not... Republican Rep Moratorium and Democrat Rep Lenatra, your first in 12 Plymouth districts. And and I think that's important for people to, to note just for perspective. Thanks for saying that, Jared. I, I agree. Yeah. So uh, so what do you guys have for the rest of the night? How many more citations do you have to give out? Plymouth South <laughs> Culinary, maybe? That was a great experience. <laughs> there are 10 in your hand there, Matt, that we have to do? <laughs> well, I... Uh, go ahead, yeah, Matt. They'll stop putting signs around the polling locations and Get to bed early, and because we got an we got an early day tomorrow, we got a busy day tomorrow. So, and where do you respectively? Uh, where do you each vote? Where, where you, are you early voters, or do you usually mosey in at some point during the day? Kathy, I'm to mosey in at some point during the day. I, I try to get there, you know, early to to get it done and get it out of the way, so I can head to the other polls throughout the day. Any last messages to the voters as uh, they, they get ready to, uh, to decide uh, what they're going to uh, cast, who they're going to cast the ballot for tomorrow? Well, if you haven't voted yet, tomorrow's the day, 7 to 8. If you have want your voice to be heard, you need to vote. Matt? Yeah, I agree. And if you haven't voted yet, I know it's, I think it's about 40, 50 percent of folks have already voted ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, but we want to capture those people that are voting tomorrow and you know, we hope you get out and you vote for, for Matt Miratori and Kathy uh, Lenatra. Well, and I just want to thank both of you for all of your hard work for your constituents and your partnership with Plymouth County. We've certainly appreciated that uh, throughout the CARES uh, program and the ARPA program. You guys are valued partners. I think you're going to be looking forward to good results, both of you, tomorrow. Uh, wishing you all the best and uh, keep up the good work. And we'll be done in about 24 hours. Hard to believe. Sounds good. Sounds good. Have a great night, guys. Good luck. And that sounds like a perfect segue for us to do a, a quick stop set. When we come back, we dive into the ballot questions. Yes. You are tuned in to Money Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. Don't go anywhere.
This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi, on 95.9 WATD. By the middle of the week, so much news has come your way, you need your own team to sort it out. Lucky for you, there's Jared Valenzuela and the JV team to talk about the things you've heard and catch you up on some things you might not know. I'm Jared Valenzuela. Join me and my guests as we have fun with current events and try to put things into perspective each week. Sponsored by Corey Welch of Boom Realty. Catch the JV team every Wednesday night at 6.15 here on 95.9 WATD. McGuigan's Pub is an upscale Irish pub with all the class of a Boston pub. The menu offers favorites like steak tips, fish and chips, meatloaf, as well as burgers, sandwiches, and pizza. The relaxed, comfortable atmosphere at McGuigan's makes it the perfect place to eat, drink, and socialize with family and friends. New hours are Tuesday through Thursday, 4 to close, Friday through Sunday, 11.30 to close. McGuigan's Pub is at 546 Washington Street in Whitman, with a full menu available at McGuigan'sPub.com. Be a part of the show. Call and join in on the conversation. 781-837-4900. Now, back to Monday Night Talk. All right, we are back. You are tuned into Monday Night Talk, and we are the kind of warming up and uh, talking a little bit about uh, some of the races. We've had candidates who have called in, and uh, now I thought we would kind of segue to talking a little bit about the ballot questions. Is there a ballot question that either is has become a pet peeve of yours, whether you scratch your head and go, uh, or you're like, you know what, no, this this folks need to vote for this, and they need to vote for it, X. Hell no on four. Still don't know what the heck question two is about. Yes on three. Hell no on four. You said four already. You meant one. Did I mean one? You did. Hell no on one. Aren't you glad I'm here to help you? Commissioner? Oh, so, oh <laughs> darn. I screwed that up. And I will... Tom was here to help. <laughs> Somebody has to. No, I, I would say where we would disagree are questions one and four. Uh, I know that uh, Jared and I have chatted uh, a lot about the questions. Um, I, I, we find diametrically opposed positions there, uh, and we disagree respectfully about that. Uh, I think yes on one and yes on four. I understand the arguments on both sides, but I think they've been vetted. Uh, I think that the advocates have made a good case for them. Interestingly enough, I think they're both polling slightly to the yes, which I find interesting because, and Jared will, will probably weigh in here, I think most people go into a ballot question and want to vote no. Yeah, that so is their instinct. That is their instinct, and I think people... What's been interesting about these ballot questions, Kevin, too, is there's been a lot of money on both sides of question one, which you don't ordinarily see, right? I mean, I, I alluded to ranked choice voting earlier. That one was lopsided. Um, the yes for ranked choice voting, going all the way back eight years ago to the indexing of the gas tax. Another one that was lopsided, although... The Republican Governors Association spent $8 million in ads to support Charlie Baker talking about the gas tax question. So, you know, that was, you know, by osmosis help. Um, but Treasurer O'Brien's right. The, the general instinct for people is no, which is why my natural instinct is no one, too. I, I, I've tried to wrap my mind around it. And the instinct I'm coming to, at least on question two, is my dental insurance is cheap. My dental insurance is fine. I have no problem with my dental insurance, and I never have. Why am I going to change that? Uh, question three for me is, and, and I talked about this on my show a few weeks ago, but question three for me is about trying to preserve what is one of the last few local retail industries left in Massachusetts, which is our local 
package store owners. And I would hate to see a situation in Massachusetts where we're lamenting the big box store takeover like we've had in every other aspect of of our, our commerce. Uh, when it comes to question one, on top of being a principled conservative, the state of Massachusetts has more money than it needs. And I'm optimistic. I, I'm hopeful. I, I'm not sure it's going to happen. I'm really hopeful that folks will realize that the television ads promoting yes on one are distinctly misleading as it relates to how your income is taxed as it relates to when you sell your home it doesn't give you an incentive to build that small business a lot of folks rely on selling those businesses as a part of their income and it's a punitive backdoor to create a graduated income tax in a state that has every single tax under the sun and again we're getting three billion dollars back 62f 62f three billion back in our pockets because the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has more money than it needs. That ballot question does not obligate the legislature to spend that money on roads and bridges and schools. And frankly, if they want to, they can do it now because they have the money now. So That's my no I, on one I, position. <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. I was I wait, waiting for the commissioner to get off his soapbox. So <laughs> I'm used to that. He got all his talking points out, which he is did. great. I can see him checking them off one yep. by one. The one point he made, no though, notes. that I'm going to immediately take issue with an umbrage on question one, that the ads, uh, yes, on question one, were misleading. There was a great article, and I forget which uh, media outlet had it, where they looked at the ads on both sides, and they found out that they were both equally misleading. So please don't just pick up one side of the aisle. Well, I'm going to pick on the side that I don't <laughs> no, want. <laughs> you can't do that. And I will say the ads have been terribly confusing. I think it, it does a disservice to our general public when you're allowed to run an ad full of half-truths. Both sides have done that. It's plain and simple. Yes, does the Commonwealth have money right now? No doubt about that. Doubt about that. A lot of it is federal money coming in, one-time money. But we're not always going to have these resources at our disposal. Sure. Do we need significant improvement in our infrastructure and our educational opportunities here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts? Absolutely. Is a tax on the highest income earners in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts an appropriate way to do that? Yes. Uh, so I'm a staunch advocate for uh, yes on question one. I think it's going to bring some revenue that we'll need, sustainable revenue that we'll need to fix some of the problems we have. I, I, I marvel at the fact that we know we need to spend billions of dollars to improve the MBTA. And yet, anytime we try to raise money to fix the MBTA, people are like, well, I don't want to raise that revenue source. or Oh, we can't go there for that revenue source. No, we need to generate revenue and fix these problems. Question one takes a step to doing that. But I think we've been we've been told that it's going to cost how many billions of dollars to fix our transportation infrastructure, and not just the MBTA, but our roads and our bridges. Well, wasn't the excise tax put in place to pay for those roads? Don't we have tolls to pay for those bridges? One would think. We've created so... Because the problem is, Massachusetts, I'm going to quote my political and ideological hero, Ronald Reagan... It doesn't have a revenue problem. He's not from Massachusetts. No, but he is my political and ideological hero. And his quote was about the federal government, but it applies. The state government doesn't have a revenue problem. It has a spending problem. And there's no guarantee that the money raised on those top income earners, who, by the way, have the ways and means to leave, and with the advent of remote work now, can do so relatively easily. Just pack up and move out of state. New Hampshire is right over the border, uh, and there are other t more tax-advantageous states that folks will go to. I think the problem is this is a national 
type issue that's trying to permeate itself and test run itself in Massachusetts, a millionaire's tax. They call it a fair share tax. As I often quipped, um, again, I did an impromptu debate on my own program. 5% of a million dollar income is a much larger number than 5% of a $100,000 income, which is a larger number than 5% on a $10,000 income. It's already graduated by the virtue of the fact that it is flat and everybody is paying their fair share. The more you make, the more you pay. Um, and again, you know, to the treasurer's point, I understand the one-time revenue source is helping to buttress the Commonwealth's revenue. But thanks to eight years of pretty decent uh, budgets from Governor Baker, you've been able to turn what was a structural deficit into a surplus. The money's there. I don't know why they're not spending what's already there on this. And I see no reason to be punitive. On in my last point on this, on people who I consider to be working millionaires, this isn't Jeff Bezos doesn't live in Massachusetts. And because somebody's worth millions or billions of dollars doesn't mean that's what they make in a year. This is going to be on your folks who get up and go to work. It's going to be on a, a, a gentleman, a really good friend of mine, who started a, a carpet company uh, with a vacuum cleaner and a van. And now has grown that into one of the largest in New England. Those, and he still gets up and he still goes to work every day. We're now going to, and he has paid more than his fair share over the last forty years of owning that business. Now he's going to pay more punitively because he just happens to have built a successful company. And that's what made this country great. We're not punitive on people who are o overly successful. And again, it's a flat tax to begin with. There's no need to to punitive uh, to pun penalize people for their success but the but the bottom line is it'll amend the constitution it will give the the opportunity to create a graduated income tax and that to me is is the worst possible outcome do you have a rebut on this oh we could rebut uh, we could go all, on day, all, all day long i'm, I'm simply going to say don't let the scare text tactics get to you uh you you know commissioner valenzuela is excellent at uh pointing out the the no side of the things that they say. Uh, I look to the future. I'm a person that tends to the optimistic, and I say, listen, I know we have issues that we have to address and we need to fix, and this is one fair way to do it. I understand these people work very, very hard for their money. Uh, however, once you've earned more than a million dollars, 4% more on top of just anything over a million dollars is not unreasonable. These people have benefited from being in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, using our educated workforce, using our roads and our bridges. Their business is successful here because it's a great place to come and do business. It's not going to scare businesses away. Will a few people probably leave? Possibly. But, you know, we're going to generate billions of dollars from this tax, and in the long run, it's going to improve the economy of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. If you're just tuning in, we are, we're talking about uh, the ballot questions as we've spent uh, this hour talking about some of the key races at the top of the ballot. We'll probably try to do a deep dive on some of the ones down ticket, per se, here in the Commonwealth. Uh, Jared Valenzola, uh, Plymouth County Commissioner, and Tom O'Brien, Plymouth County Treasurer, uh, here to... Uh, go back and forth and share. This is this is my always been my vision for a blue versus red, but to do it in a gentlemanly fashion yes. and not necessarily say like Lincoln Douglas maybe. Yeah, and not, <laughs> not and not yeah say and, and but not scream at each other over you know whoever can yell the loudest is thinks that they're the victor is that's not the point is mm -hmm. you know you want to tactically well the trick is in Kevin. Uh, is listening to the other side. Yeah. Uh, you know, I learn when I talk to people that, that have a, a position different from my own. You know, a lot of the points, even just in that little repartee we had, there are there are statements that Jared made that are valid. And so I can listen to those. I can assimilate those. 
Uh, I know while he may roll his eyes at some of the things I said, he knows that I, too, bring a valid comment and that we say, okay, you know, the truth is there somewhere, yep. and it's okay that we disagree. We've made our points. We've talked We've talked the issue through, and now let the voters decide. And that's the great thing about our election. Yeah. And, and as long as we protect the sanctity of our elections, then I'm fine with the end result. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a quote that was recently brought to my attention by John Adams that I, I've always enjoyed, and I think it's becoming less and less um, uh, applied to here. But this he, he quoted as saying, I fear that in every elected office, members will obtain an influence by noise, not sense, by meanness, not greatness, by ignorance, not learning, by contracted hearts, not large souls. There must be decency and respect. And that was John Adams. Fantastic. Interesting that the two questions that you both are kind of diametrically opposite is one in four. Is number four the one in regards to repealing the um, the license for in, in people who are here illegally? Is that more or less because of our policy, national policy, on immigration and that people are so split because we don't have an actual way to be able to take care of immigration here in this country? Well, I think that's a lot to do with it. Uh, obviously, we have a, a major issue at the national level with our immigration policy. We have a lot of work to do. And I've certainly been disappointed over the last 4, 8, 12, 16, 20 years that the federal government hasn't done more to solve that problem. Uh, you know, we've been talking about dreamers for eight years. We've been talking about uh, having a path to citizenship. It's hard to become a citizen here in the, in the United States, and that's a good thing. But there needs to be a bright line way to do that. The fact that, that we have a mess <laughs> uh, of an immigration policy and have had for a while convolutes the issue here. And, and so, yeah, I think that makes it harder to get to the nuts and bolts. As I understand this issue, it is really about uh, creating documentation uh, to make it safer uh, on our roads, that people right now are driving without a license, and that is not a, a very good way to uh, operate, that you need to have accountability, and this is one way to add that add accountability. I will say this, in the legislature, this was an issue that came up, believe it or not, even when I was there. And I was opposed to it at the time. But I think over the last 16 years, they've done a lot of work on this bill to address the concerns of the people that, vote, that wanted to vote no. Uh, and they brought on the mass... Massachusetts City Chiefs Association. They brought on a lot of the stakeholders. They've taken care of a lot of the issues that were brought to the forefront. I think it's a great piece of legislation, and I do hope people vote yes on four. My family immigrated here from Sicily 100 years ago and came over on a, a steamship, took her 13 days, my great-grandmother, and I understand the national... Uh, it's a national issue, immigration, that needs to be addressed. I agree with, with Tom on that. My problem is rewarding folks who willfully and knowingly have done the wrong thing to, to enter into this country. And I think it might be, and I don't want to say naive, but I think it's definitely idealistic to hope. These are folks that generally work under the table. They are folks that by and large do keep their heads down uh, with the exception of certain instances. Uh, Matthew Denise out in Central Mass who was killed uh, by an individual who shouldn't be in this country. Um, offering driver's licenses for them is not, first of all, going to ensure that they are going to 
take driver's ed and going to get that license to begin with. It's not going to ensure that they are going to get insurance. This is There's no assurance it's going to do anything. Um, and I think it, it's opening the door. And again, I'll cite Governor Baker in his letter to the legislature when he vetoed this bill. Uh, it's important to note that there isn't a built-in mechanism within the registry of deeds, which, uh, registry of deeds, yeah, registry of, <laughs> registry of motor vehicles. How county of you? Regist- <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but there's no built-in mechanism in the registry of motor vehicles as of yet mm. to ensure that they don't get registered to vote. And I think I was on this program with you, Kevin, when you interviewed uh, Kay Campanelli, who was running for lieutenant governor on the Republican side, who was accidentally registered to vote as an independent when she changed her last name when she got married. So I, I, there's there's... It's, it's a solution in search of a problem. There's too many opportunities for things to go wrong with this. And I, I firmly believe that folks who do the right thing should be rewarded and folks who don't shouldn't be rewarded. You know, it's interesting that you use the term reward. And by the way, thank you for calling me hopeful and idealistic. I like that. <laughs> I didn't like the other option. Um, you know what they say if you're a conservative and under 30, although I'm over 30 now. What do they say, Jared? You have no heart. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it. You just did. Um, the, you, you, you talk about this as a reward. You know, it's, you talk about these folks. They keep their head down. They're, by and large, they're, they're working. They don't necessarily want this uh, additional burden of, of getting a license. I think I, I don't view it as a reward. I view it as one more obligation that they have and that they need to do to be in this country and to drive on our roads. They will need to get a license. And they should then be required to take courses and get insurance. I agree that's not what the law says right now, but it doesn't mean that that can't happen in the future. And you have to take that first step. If you don't take that first step, those other things never happen. Well, as you pointed out, this was an issue that presented itself 16 years ago when you were a member of the legislature. And we just got to this point. So if we put provisions in with insurance and other things, maybe in 16 years, bottom line is they're not going to sign up for driver's licenses to begin with. And um, and I don't think Massachusetts needs to position itself um, into this national conversation, which really should just be kept to states that are on the border and states that are truly dealing with this with this situation. Let's let's <clears throat> shift gears here. Let's talk about some of the other other races. We can talk county races. We got a a dandy of a district attorney race. Um, Tim dandy Cruz. A, I like that dandy. Of a district attorney <laughs> race, uh, like Tim that. Cruz, the Republican incumbent, Arasan Hall, uh, the Democrat, and then you have County Commissioner uh, Alex Bazanson, Democrat, Sandra Wright, Republican incumbent. Um, I'll let you uh, each choose if you want to. You want to have at it for each or not so much. Well, I'll, I'll offer a blanket thought, and then we can get down to the nitty gritty if we want. As I'm looking at the list here. Uh, for the county races, district attorney and commissioner, and the state rep races, uh, I see a significant advantage uh, for the incumbents in all of these races um, for many reasons. Uh, more often than not, they've worked very hard and done a good job for their constituency. They're known by their constituency. Uh, and I, I, I don't see 
really that there will be any change at any level for the races that, that we have here, uh, whether it's, you know, the 1st Plymouth District with Matt Muratori, 12th Plymouth District with Kathy Zinatra, uh 7th Plymouth District with Allison Sullivan, 6th Plymouth District with Josh Cutler, 5th, 5th Plymouth with Dave DeCoast, I think the incumbents will, will probably prevail. Uh, and same true at the, the county level uh, with the incumbents there with uh, Sandy Wright as county commissioner and Tim Cruz as district attorney. Yeah, I'll, I'll dive into that, uh, and I'll take the same route that, that Treasurer O'Brien took, although I will offer just because it, it, for, just to be fun. But I, I do actually believe this. Um, I, I really think Repticos is in some trouble here. Um, he's never ran away with any of his races. Um, to that end, Rep Sullivan in the 7th Plymouth, you put a D next to Brandon Griffin, he's actually a socialist workers' party, so he's not even a Democrat. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. You're so he, No, he's quite literally a workers' party, so he's literally a communist. I know some, my Republican friends joke that all Democrats are communists, but this one's literally a communist. Um, <laughs> so proof that all your other friends are wrong. Well, there is a distinction. I know, that's true. <laughs> um, but Brandon when, is making it for you. Yeah, I mean, look, the bottom line real quick with Reptico, so many people, as you get further down the ballot, it becomes less about party and more about geography and one of the things that's going to be interesting to watch tomorrow evening in in a hair a hair over 24 hours from now Repticoast uh, was bolstered both in his primary against my dad and then in his win against Rhonda Nyman representative Nyman by his hometown of Norwell which came out huge for him and has every cycle redistricting removed a precinct in his hometown and added a precinct in Hanson, which the only available data is Representative Josh Cutler's races. And how has Rep Cutler done in Hanson? He has won that precinct in Hanson every single time he ran, including when he ran against Dan Webster, who was the incumbent. Um, so when I ran a model, that brings Rep to Coast 2020 margin of victory from like 350 votes down to 30. So I know that that's a race that I think we're going to be paying close attention to tomorrow night. I would absolutely enter that one into the conversation to pay close attention to. As it relates to District Attorney uh, Tim Cruz, I haven't seen what he may have done to have lost the seat, right? I mean, ultimately, um, there's, you know, he's put the work and he's done the time. The results show for themselves. Plymouth County is one of the safest counties in the country. Um, the city of Brockton, although it's had some unfortunate news the last few days, but by and large, violent crime shootings, juvenile issues, drug issues in the city are down to a point of 25% in some cases. Uh, I'm not sure. I know Mr. Hall's slogan is reimagining justice. I don't know what needs to be reimagined there. People are safe in Brockton. People are safe in Plymouth County. And that's due in large part to the work of the district attorney's office and the sheriff's office to help with recidivism and to help with education. Um, as it relates to county commissioner, uh, again, I, I'm not sure what my colleague uh, Sandra Wright has done to to lose the seat. I think a lot of listeners need to be reminded of the fact that there was a lot of hard work, and I know that her opponent has given a lot of credit to Treasurer O'Brien, which is deservedly so. I do so uh, whenever we present those checks because we work as a team, and it's his office and his staff that has done a lot of hard work for our CARES Act. But um, to just solely give him the credit, I'll take small issue with, uh, because it took the, the courage of Commissioner Wright to take that vote and get those have those editorials in the Globe written about her, to have the governor's office yelling at her, to have local municipalities telling her, don't do this. Um, you can't take that away from me. That, that, is, that meant millions upon millions of dollars for our communities, I, and I want to get that point out there. And I've been incredibly disappointed uh, in the last couple of days with, with some of the commentary on social media, especially as it relates to a potential uh, writing that Commissioner Wright may have made 
Uh, I find it unfortunate her opponent is, is picking on an older woman on social media and doesn't seem to want to let that go. Um, but much like, again, with Reptico's race, a negative mailing going out, when you go negative, it's usually because you're losing. And, uh, and I think that the, the same is there, but I, I, I can't say it enough again. The amount of work that Commissioner Wright uh, put into getting the CARES Act executed uh, for the benefit of all communities in Plymouth County. And uh, I think, but going down the line, I, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I, I just can't see where a lot of uh, the incumbents have lost their seats, right? Again, I think Rep to Coast will be close. Um, but the long and the short of it is you agree with me. No, I entered in. I, I think Rep to Coast could lose. Other I mean, than, I can contrary. Other than that race. I'll contrary you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but the long and short. But you're saying that we, we could see one up one upset. I think, well, I'm not sure if it's an upset. I mean, it would it be an upset by, based on the numbers and the historical data. I mean, it's been a close race for him every time. Okay. Um, I, I think Dr. has ran a race. He's he's done the work from what I can tell, as Rep to Coast has too. I mean, that's not to say that he hasn't either. Um but it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. You're, you're going to have a, a drop-off in terms, I think, at least according to some polling I've seen, between Governor Baker's vote share in Plymouth County and, and what Jeff Deal's going to get in Plymouth County. And, and granted, people, again, don't vote straight party one way or the other, but you had Charlie Baker's best county in 14 was Plymouth, 57 to 38 over Martha Coakley. That helps guys like Dave DeCoast beat Rhonda Nyman by 50 votes and not lose to Rhonda Nyman by 50 votes. I'm not sure if that environment is out there this time, um, but we'll see. We will see. And one thing that I think is going to be interesting, you talk about countywide, it'll be interesting to see if Jeff Deal even wins in Plymouth County. I'm, I'm not sure he's going to. I think Maura Healy will probably win Plymouth County, which is remarkable given that's Jeff's home base. He, he was close, not to interrupt you, but he was close against Elizabeth Warren. He won it, but it was a very, very thin margin. But that would go to your point that Jeff Deal doesn't have the coattails that Charlie Baker yeah. had, certainly. And if he isn't able to win Plymouth County, what does that mean for some of the other Republican candidates? Right. No other Senate races. There's no uh, nothing, you know. I will tell you. I mean, I'll, I'll throw a shout out to my dear friend and longtime, uh, long ago colleague, Patrick O'Connor, the state senator for the... First Plymouth and Norfolk district. If if I'm the Democratic Party, I'm really annoyed that um, this young man, uh, who's not from the district, has not moved into the district. Last uh, last look at the uh, available data, uh, has put his name on the ballot to likely lose eighty twenty. Um, but good for Patrick O'Connor. I think you know there are so many on this list, so many of the incumbents, especially that that have worked so hard in their positions, um, and he. Uh, has been no different. Uh, he and his staff have worked extremely hard, and I don't see any scenario where uh, his opponent somehow defeats him um, tomorrow night. There's just there's just no way. Well, and I'm going to take the same opportunity to give it a shout-out to Senator Mike Brady yeah. uh, and say almost exactly the same thing. Uh, boy, a harder-working state senator, I don't know. Uh, anytime we show up in his district, Senator Brady is there. He was one of our early supporters in a lot of the programs the county is running. I know that his uh, he's renowned for his constituent service, mm. uh, and, and I feel the same way. I, I don't think that uh, he he has uh, anything but a, a great night tomorrow night. Uh, I think his opponent uh, just won't uh, pass muster and that Mike will win handily. And I will add real quick, Kevin and Tom, one of the things that I think is <clears throat> always noteworthy is some of the advantages that these folks have is the geography. Um, again, Patrick O'Connor's opponent doesn't live in the district, so that doesn't help him much. Um, Senator Brady, you know, and I echo uh, Treasurer O'Brien's sentiments about Senator Brady. Um, his opponent's a good guy. I've met him. 
I, I forget what town he lives in, but he doesn't live in Brockton. And Hanson. That, thank you, Hanson. Um, but that town, you know, it's weighted Hanson. And, and again, a lot of the reason why I said there's a chance Raptor Coast could lose is based on geography. You, you took a, pre- home, a precinct from your hometown out. That just strengthened Manuel Doctor come from Hanover. That strengthened that in Rockland's grip on that district. Um, I, it can't be understated enough how important geography is in these local legislative races and how important it is to be from a town that has a strong vote share in these races. Patrick O'Connor comes from Weymouth, right? I mean, that's the biggest town in this in that district. Um, and again, you know, Repticos coming from Norwell would help. Allison Sullivan from Abington, the biggest town in that district. I mean, those are those are very basic things that that make a difference. Uh, Kathy Lenatra from Kingston. I mean, though, those are small things because people vote based on that type of geography. I want the rep from my town. And if that town is bigger, yep. it's going to overwhelm the rest of the districts. And I, I agree wholeheartedly, but you also have to work the, the, the job. You, do. you um, do. You have to be visible. You have to attend events. You have to respond to your constituents. And, and we're very fortunate here in Plymouth County that our elected officials do that. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what party they're from. Uh, if any of us need to pick up the phone, we can talk to every single one of our state reps, every single one of our state senators. Uh, they'll answer the call. They'll return the call. They're thoughtful in their response. That's what you want in an elected official. We're very lucky here in Plymouth County to have the folks we do. So I agree. There's obviously a geographic advantage in some cases, but these people work very hard at their jobs. They do. And many of them deserve to be reelected. I was just putting my political science degree to use for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't, we, we didn't necessarily put a lot of stock in the midterms and any national races is a race that either of you will be watching tomorrow night. So (laughs) uh, there's a couple. I will tell you. You have a minute. uh, You have a minute left. Oh, my goodness. Why did we ask this question 10 minutes ago? In my minute, Alan Fung in Rhode Island, I think, is going to break the Democrat stranglehold on every House seat in New England. I think there's also a really good chance Caroline Levitt in the New Hampshire first district does. Don Bullduck also in New Hampshire. Um, And I will throw a random wild card of a Connecticut, I think, the fifth district. Hayes Logan. Yes. Ah, see, I knew who that was. Hey, I'm going to watch New Hampshire. Pappas Levitt, that's going to be key for the Democrats. Uh, U.S. Senate races are key. Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, New Hampshire, and Ohio. I think Ohio's tough for the Democrats, but I see Democrats winning in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Arizona. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you. And I want to thank the folks for tuning in. I disagree with that, Tom. <laughs> for Too tuning bad in. it's over, Jared. <laughs> Until next week at 6.15 p.m., thank you for tuning in. Have a good night. FM Marshfield, WBMS Brockton.